0: Hello and welcome to True Crime Medieval, 1,000 Years of People Behaving Badly. I'm Anne Brannan, and I'm your host in Albuquerque. And I'm Michelle Butler in Tuscaloosa. Today we are talking about two people, well, and mentioning a third, talking about a couple people in England during the time of Henry Seventh, who pretended to be rightful claimants to the English throne and had rebellions and so yeah so that's what we're talking about and as usual we found out even though we thought we knew all this we found out lots of things we hadn't known so this was in 1487 and 1490, when Lambert Simnel was supposedly Richard and Edward Plantagenet, depending on what day it was, and Perkin Warbeck was supposedly Richard. And then later, he ended up being Edward Fifth. Who
1: they're impersonating changes.
0: Yes, who they're impersonating changes. Now, there's been a project recently, and in 2021, there's this theory that Edward V in, ended up in Devon, but he didn't, so... And so then the question is, who are these people and, and what, you're, what are you talking about? So what we're talking about is, this is Henry VII. This is the first of the Tudors to rule England. He's on the throne. That there are pretenders at all of this sort stems from the disappearance Of the princes in the tower, that is, King Edward V, who was 12 when he disappeared, and Richard, the Duke of York, who was his little brother and was nine when he disappeared. We did a couple of podcasts about the princes in the tower very early on in our first season. You know we're in the fifth season now, Michelle? No, really? Wow. Fifth season now, yeah, because we started in October, so. (laughs) We have like a hundredth
1: episode coming up here pretty soon. We'll have to plan something special.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to pay attention to that. I don't really pay attention to like when we started and I and I number things I think wrong but at any rate I know let's give all the organization to the ADHD person at any rate we did talk about them we had one podcast that was pretty pretty much basically talking about the war of the roses or the cousins war which was the background to the princes and then another one on the princes and what the hell happened to them and whether or not Richard III really had had anything to do with it, and Michelle did not want him to have had anything to do with it because she loves him dearly, and so do I, but I think he did. And you've come to the position, Michelle, that he did. I think it's inescapable that <laughs> um, that they they got dead
1: under his watch because it, it w- if they weren't dead, he would have brought them out. Now, do I think that he personally ordered their murder? That's hard. <laughs> to come around to because he was such he was so loyal to Edward the Fourth. He
0: really was. It's a, it's a change of character. It's not like but... King George, King John. Do we think King John actually had his nephew Arthur murdered? Yes, we do. But King John had had lots of people murdered, hadn't he? And he was really quite sleazy. Richard the Third, not so much. So yeah, I don't think he personally ordered it either. But I think that it was pretty clear to somebody that it was going to be helpful to him.
1: Yeah, and I suspect whoever decided to rid him of the medals and princes was somebody he couldn't throw under a bus. It must have been somebody close enough to him that he didn't want to do something to them.
0: Yeah, it, was it would be too obvious, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so the princes got put in the towers, and why are they in the tower? King Edward IV, we get really annoyed at him because we think he made some bad decisions, uh... The main one being the lovely Elizabeth of Woodville. But anyway, King Edward IV had died, leaving his young son, this is the 12 year old, as his heir, and he had a promise from his own younger brother, who was Richard, that Richard would serve as regent for the 12 year old son, also a named Edward. And he would be Edward V when his father died, and the idea was that Richard would guide him until he was all grown up. But after his brother's death, he had the two boys lodged in the Tower of London, presumably for their safety, but who believes that? Not me. And then he had them declared illegitimate, which he was able to do with some plausibility. It's not really true, but he but he could get he could do this with some plausibility because Edward IV had married Elizabeth Woodville, who many of the nobles disliked because she she garnered so much power for her annoying family. But Edward had been known for messing around a lot, habit which he continued after the marriage. And there had been a rumor that he had secretly married one of his earlier mistresses. So therefore, if that was true, of course, the marriage to Elizabeth Woodville didn't count and the boys would be illegitimate. So that was the reasoning behind this, the purported reasoning. If they're illegitimate, then Edward's not the king, Richard becomes Richard III. So that's all very well and good, but the supporters of Edward IV, the now dead king, did not consider Richard to be the rightful king because the 12-year-old Edward was obviously the rightful king, Edward V, which meant that the boys were a danger to Richard and they disappeared. Okay, so that's the short version. Can we go on and on about this? Yes, we can, but we're not going to do that right now because we're going to go on and on about something else. Fair enough, Michelle. Awesome. Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> now, at the time, really what most people thought was that they were dead and, you know, we think they were dead too. We for sure they're dead now, but at any rate that they were dead and that Richard had had them killed. Or even maybe some people even thought he'd killed them himself, but that just is just too ridiculous it didn't happen. But the result of all this that the boys were gone. And they were probably dead. But maybe they weren't. So there was an idea even then that they'd been smuggled out of the tower and sent to live in obscurity someplace. And during Richard's reign, which was. Richard's reign, by the way, was two years long. He didn't really get a lot out of this. You know, he becomes king. He's king for two years. A few months into his reign, there was a rebellion led by Henry Stafford, who was married to Catherine, who was Elizabeth Woodville's sister, because all these people are married to each other. They're all related. So I did tell you all the relations, though he had been and still is one of the suspects for being the person who, off, who actually offed the two kids. But he turned on Richard, even though he'd been his ally and helped him take the throne on. He led the rebellion, and the rebellion was in alliance with Henry and Jasper Tudor. Jasper is Henry's uncle, and Henry is a claimant to the throne because, although he's half Welsh, he's also half um, basically Duke. Euford, So, you know, he's descended from John of Gaunt. That rebellion failed and Buckingham get got executed at that point. And why he turned on Richard, we actually don't know. But Henry and Jasper Tudor had missed the battle that Buckingham lost on account of there had been some trouble at sea, blah, blah, blah. They ended up someplace else. But a couple of years later, while Richard is being king, Henry and Jasper defeated Richard at Bosworth Field and threw his body under the car park, or, you know, or the place that was going to be the car park. They threw him there, and then Henry became Henry the Seventh. So that's how Henry ends up on the throne. So you can see that during Henry's reign, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to oppose him. And if you considered that this guy who was half Welsh and half Beaufort was not really the rightful king of England, and Richard III didn't have an actual heir, he had someone who was supposed to be his successor, but he didn't have an heir because his only son had died, then obviously the rightful king would be Edward V if he had escaped from the tower and wasn't dead. I'm hoping y'all follow that. Failing that, his younger brother, Richard, would be the king. Or failing that, if they were both dead, Edward Plantagenet, who was the son of George, the Duke of Clarence, who was Edward IV and Richard III's brother, and was dead already on account of having rebelled against his brother, Edward, and been forgiven, and then having rebelled again and been executed, that would be the rightful heir. So where we are now in our story is that Henry VII is king, and not everybody is happy he has married Elizabeth of York, who was the sister of the disappeared princes. so there were rebell- there were rebellions it didn't really calm things down. So one of those was led by the supporters of Lambert Simnel. Simnel was about 10 at the time of the rebellion, which happened a couple of years after Henry VII took the throne. And we have no idea who he was. His name might even have been John. He was the son of a worker of some sort, a carpenter, a baker, we don't know. But he became the student of a priest, Richard Simon, who thought that he looked very much like the princes in the tower. And so he decided to train him in courtly etiquette and present him as Richard, Duke of York. That's the young prince in the tower. But even better, Edward Plantagenet. So he changed the Edward Plantagenet the son of the executed Duke of Clarence, who had been executed by his brother, the king, and he was rumored to have died in the Cat tower. Now, he hadn't died in the tower. He wasn't dead at that point, but Simon decided to present Simnel as Edward Plantagenet. And also, he spread it about that Edward had escaped from the tower. So he was either dead or escaped, and Simon was taking care of him. He wasn't dead. And it wasn't any of the, none of this was believable, but it didn't really matter because. There was going to be a rebellion. There were going to be rebellions anyway. And if you had somebody to kind of center around, that was just really useful. Why not? so they had lambert as a figurehead of the rebel of the rebellion and so it's more a perceived le- legitimacy cuz henry tudor he's not really legitimate so we have to have him gone so how unnecessary simnel was is shown by the fact that after simnel was taken to ireland and paraded about the rebellion wanted gerald fitzgerald who was the earl of kildare to send an invasion t- to help the rebels henry heard about this and so he had the real Edward Plantagenet, who, as I've mentioned, was not dead at that time. He had him paraded about London, so that his being either dead or run away with the priest was clearly not true. And the rebellion went along anyway with Simnel. It's just, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It just was just, it was all made up. Simnel was crowned King Edward VI in Dublin. I... I- I, I I was stunned by that <laughs> they crowned him in Christ Church in Dublin yeah they did they did they did he's not rude we don't call. We, he doesn't count if you're counting the Edwards who are kings of England he actually is not in there he's not Edward the sixth
1: I guess if you're in for a penny you might as well go the <laughs> whole way and have a coronation but my goodness although actually the role of Ireland in in both of these
0: pretenders is pretty interesting I'm Weigh in on this now. See, you notice that the Welsh aren't why because the king is actually Welsh, so they're okay. They're okay with this. So, Simnel was crowned, and John de la Pole, who was the Earl of Lincoln and the great grandson of Chaucer, by the way, on one side. Did you know that? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you did. John de la Pole was also the cousin of the princes in the tower because he was the son of Elizabeth, the sister of Edward and Richard and George. So John de la Pole, their cousin, joined the rebellion, pretending that Simnel was his cousin which he wasn't. So he had been, presumably, he was supposed to succeed Richard III. He wasn't his actual heir, you know, in blood, but he was heir to the throne. He hadn't been proclaimed such, and not yet, but that was who he was. And he'd been doing fine with the Tudor reign, apparently, but, you know, guess not. So he went to Burgundy to talk to Margaret of York. Who's Margaret of York? Margaret of York at that point, was the Dowager Duchess of Burgundy, but more importantly, she was the sister of Edward and Richard and George. It's really useful, I think. Edward and Richard and George, and then you know what family you're in because that, three thousand Edwards and, <laughs> and three thousand Richards is really hard to know. But it's, the Edwards are especially bad. Just who is it? It was Edward. If you're any of you who are like taking like an exam, just, and you know you're just supposed to name somebody, you just say it was Edward and see if that works. So she's the sister. Of George, the, the executed Duke of Clarence, who is supposedly the father of Lambert Simnel, on account of his being, according to the narrative structure of this particular rebellion, her nephew and the rightful king. Okay, so that's who he is. John de la Pole told Margaret he had helped Edward Plantagenet escape. Da 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 da. That's so that's our story. And Margaret sent soldiers to Ireland, and the rebellion force, which was mostly Irish and Flemish, landed on an island off the Lanc- Lancashire coast and it got ready to invade. But Henry had already heard about this expedition and he'd been mustering his forces. And also, the locals were not impressed by the Irish and the Flemish, and so they were not getting into the rebellion expedition, and really, the expedition had not been well put together, and they went into battle, and they lost immediately. It was a three-hour battle. It was They just lost. De La Pole was killed, which is probably better for him than what else would have happened and the priest was imprisoned he spent the rest of his life in prison and the earl of kildare got pardoned because he was actually in ireland and hadn't come to the battle at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Landon, <laughs> And Lambert Simnel himself, being about 10 years old and not the orchestrator of any of this, he was going along with everything as sometimes ten, as, as a well-behaved 10-year-old might, you know, he was just following directions. The king did not have him executed. He sent him to go work in the kitchen, turning spits. And later he became a falconer. And I've also read someplace, is this actually true that he became a groom of the stool at some point, which is a very exalted position, where you help the king go to the toilet. All right. So he had been given a little excitement and some education, a lot of education. And then he had to go back to being a workman. But at least he was in royal buildings rather than workmen's cottages. And Well, I thought that was a pretty
1: clever approach on Henry's part. was impressed all the way through here with Henry's handling of these pretenders. He doesn't just let him go. He keeps him in his household where nobody else can get a hold of him. True. And mm-hmm. Make mm-hmm. him back into a figurehead, but he doesn't have him murdered. He doesn't, you know, execute him. So he really Henry is such a he's such a pragmatic politician.
0: Yeah, and having him executed would be—I think—would it would be problematic. Executing ten-year-old people, especially, especially when what people could do is there could be then a narrative about how the wicked king had executed the ten-year-old Richard or Edward. Who is he being? Is he being—is he being Edward or Richard at this point? He's being Edward. I think he's being Edward. All right, so that being Edward, Duke of Warwick, <laughs> Earl of Warwick, Earl of Warwick, <laughs> Earl of Warwick, Son sure of the he Duke is, of Clarence. The one who got drowned in a butt of Malmzy. Okay.
1: And it's it's hilarious because when Clarence was executed, his whole line was disinherited.
0: Yeah. He was attained. So he doesn't have a claim anyway. No, he doesn't have a claim, but he can be somebody that people make claims about. Sure. You know, That's, that's the thing. This whole part is so fascinating because, you
1: know, this whole 15th century, late 15th century stuff is so fascinating because they're all wanting to desperately pretend that it's not just about who's got the bigger army and who's going to win. But Henry VII shows up with a pack of gum and a bus ticket. I mean, he has no claim. The Buforts the, the agreement with legitimating the, the Buforts his children with um, his mistress, John of Gaunt. John I mean, of Gaunt yeah. mm-hmm. When John of Gaunt marries Catherine Swinford the and their children are legitimated, the agreement is the Buforts will never have a claim to the throne. And how
0: long did that last? Well, <laughs> about this long. <laughs>
1: exactly. So Henry VII... I just can't stress how no claim he has. No, no. But he has allies who want to cause trouble for England. And so he it's just basically another invasion from Normandy. Okay. <laughs> It's, so there, there's all this, like, tying themselves in knots, trying to pretend like this is legitimate, this is legitimate, when it's really just about who's showing up with the biggest army and has the best day on the battlefield.
0: Yep, that is it. And that is it. Because that's how you make a line legitimate is you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, about three years after all this hoo-ha, there was another rebellion which centered around Perkin Warbeck, who claimed to be Richard the Younger, Prince in the Tower. Okay, Warbeck showed up in one thousand four hundred and ninety in Burgundy, claiming that his brother had been murdered, but he had been spared on account of his youth, which was even younger than it was at this point, and sent to Flanders and looked after by one Edward Brompton, who was his who was Edward the Fourth's his who was his father's godson. So. You know, keep your Edwards in, in line, please. And so he was now <laughs> <Good> free. <luck. laughs> I, can't, I can't. So he was now free to claim his identity. And so could he please, here he was, could he please have some support? So they made some coins for him, you know, and then he went to Ireland and they didn't get any joy in Ireland. And then he went to France where the king helped him for a while, but then he didn't because there was some treaty with England where he promised not to harbor rebels. But Margaret of York, we've seen her before because she was backing um, Seminole, Margaret of York declared that he was totally Richard, her nephew, whom he, she had never met. And rightfully, therefore, the king of England and this that she really had never seen him and just made no never mind whatsoever. And what, here's one of the things we don't actually know whether she believed this or was herself pretending. We don't really know that. I kind of think she's pretending, but I don't know for sure. Maybe she deluded herself into believing it. I'm agreeing with you. We don't know that there's just no way to know. Mm -mm. No, because supposedly there's some proof that he's Richard because of letters where she says that he is, but that's not actually proof. That's Margaret saying he is. And she wants Henry off the throne, and she wants, she would like, she would really like for her brother's children to be on the throne, but they can't be if they're dead. But she at least, at the very least, she wants Henry off it. No Tudors. So a bunch of nobles in England announced that they believed that Perkin Warbeck was the rightful king, so Henry had them arrested, and he cut the heads off a lot of them, and he imprisoned some others. But Warbeck had an army put together, funded by his supposed aunt, and landed at Kent. And at Kent, the locals overcame his army there's no even real army there but they overcome the little army Warbeck went back to Ireland and he got some some, uh, some more support but he didn't go anywhere and so he went to Scotland he went to Scotland. <laughs> we wanted to go to Ukraine so that we can actually talk about Eastern Europe in here. But no, no, no. He goes to Scotland, where King James the Fourth was very happy to see him. Did he believe that this was Richard? He didn't, but he had something to hold over Henry. So he married Warbeck off to one of the Gordons and gave him some really fancy clothes. Now, if this had really been the King of England. He would not have married him off to one of the... just. The, the, she's the daughter of the Chancellor. He would have gone higher than that. This was actually really the King of England. Uh, she was noble. She wasn't royal. But James was quite happy to have a reason to invade England. Yes, he did. Because he was supporting the rightful King of England, wasn't he? Da, da, da. So he invaded England. But alas, the Northumbrians did not rally around the invasion. And so they all had to go back to Scotland. So King James put sent Warbeck off on... On a ship, uh, he gave him a crew, and Warbeck went back to Ireland. Once again, didn't really get anything out of Ireland, so he went to Cornwall. Yes, he went to Cornwall, which had recently had a rebellion of its own and would have some more, actually. He got another little army together to, and he set off to, into England, but he fled and left the army. When he heard that the king's army was on the way, he didn't even get to a battle before he'd run off. He surrendered. They found him in Hampshire and the Cornish army was surrounded and the leaders got executed. So too bad for them. And Warwick was taken to the Tower of London and imprisoned. And the citizens laughed and laughed at him as he was paraded through the streets of London. I actually, that's the part that makes me saddest about this whole thing. I don't know why. I don't know why. (laughs) There's more to be sad at. So he confessed and was then, though still under guard, he was allowed to see his wife. This was Catherine Gordon. And he was able to attend functions and roam around the court. So I want to point out here that he's roaming around the court and his supposed sister, unlike Margaret, she had actually met him, never said it was her brother. I think that's very telling.
1: And also their mom is still alive at this point. Yeah. And when she writes her will, he's not in it.
0: The Woodville clan did not believe that this was their relative. Yeah. He wasn't. Now the confession is how we know anything about who he really was, but we want to keep in mind that the confession was probably gotten under duress, maybe torture. Although I don't know, I don't think there's any like signs of it later. But uh, so the confession, the confession is somewhat problematic, but pieces of it are pretty clearly true. And here's what he says: Warbeck said he was the son of the comptroller of Tournai, Johan uh, de Warbeck. And that he went to Antwerp with his mother and learned Dutch. And then he finally got employed by an Englishman who was a cloth merchant. And there's actually evidence in the archives at Tournai that relates to people that he talked about. So, okay. So the first part of the confession, at the very least, sounds reliable. He says he traveled to Ireland and people there who were interested in outing Henry and putting the Yorkists back on the throne took him up to be presented as Richard, the younger of the princes, because he looked a lot like Edward the Fourth. So, you know, much of that, maybe all of it is true. At the very least, his Flemish roots and his travels are truthful, and maybe the rest of it is too. But he'd been captured at any rate. And uh, his attempt to be the king of England was over at that point. A few months after he was captured, he escaped. And then he was recaptured and he was put in solitary confinement for a while and then he was let out. And so then he made an alliance with the actual real Edward Plantagenet, the person that other people have been pretending to be, the son of George, the Duke of Clarence, the same guy that Lambert Simnel had been. And they escaped and they were caught. And Warbeck was hanged at that point and Edward got his head cut off. So uh, he was really dead that time. Um, If you wanted to pretend to uh, to be him, he was really dead. And he'd had his head cut off, so it wasn't like he got away and went to Flanders. He didn't. Both Simnel and Warbeck show up in popular culture, Warbeck a lot, lot more than Simnel. Before Simnel's rebellion, there had been a rebellion against Henry VII that had been led by uh, Lord Lovell and Humphrey Stafford, who had escaped after the Battle of Bosworth. And after Simnel's rebellion, there was a rebellion in Northumbria and Yorkshire because the taxes that people were supposed to pay to defend Brittany they didn't want to pay, and they'd been high. They they'd had bad harvest and they didn't have any money, and they'd been taxed already. And after Warwick's rebe- rebellion, there were two more uprisings in Cornwall, and after that things slowed down. That was in 1497. And after that, the rebellions under Henry the Seventh stopped. Although under Henry the Eighth, there will be lots and lots and lots. There would be lots. There'll be more trouble. And by the way, this is for context. If you're thinking about pretenders to the English throne, almost all of them were people who actually had some sort of claim to the English throne. Edgar Affling, for instance, who was supposed to secede Harold Godwinson, didn't get to because Harold had been killed by William of Normandy, who became the King of England. And so he's a pretender because the English lost the war. Or Mary, Queen of Scots, who was the granddaughter of Henry VII, as Elizabeth was, uh, eventually got her head cut off. And so she has a claim. But if Henry VII, who had a much, much, much... More, more, not a very strong claim to the throne of England. If Henry Seventh had lost at Bosworth, he would have been on the list of pretenders. Yes. yes. Yeah. But, but what's interesting about Simnel and Warbeck to me is that they were not, they totally were not claimants to the throne. They were actually really pretending to even be pretenders and there's a few others of them so i would say like who else did this there's just a, a couple of others there was one other pretender under henry the 7th this was ralph wolford but he um he said he was uh, he, again he said he was edward the duke son of the duke of clarence at that point was edward already dead i think so because that's 1499 yeah. Yeah. So yeah. at that point, you know, and, and nobody, he, he he's only lasted about three weeks before he got executed. So he was a very brief pretender, but there are a couple of others who had no real claim to the throne at all. One in 1573, in, in the history of England, in 1533, uh, Mary Bainton said she was the daughter of Henry, the, Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon, that she was Mary Tudor, she was a Mary Tudor, not the one who later was born. That she was the Mary Tudor who was at that time actually still alive, but had been declared illegitimate on account of that whole Anne Boleyn thing. Uh, so she she wasn't that person at all, and she had no claim at all. She wasn't she wasn't in any way connected. She got arrested and investigated, but they thought she was nuts. And so they let her go, and you know, she forgot about that all stuff and did something else. We don't know what, but she disappears out of the record. And in 1318, John Um Dadress of Powderham claimed to be Edward II, who at that time, this was this is so we're going back in time, who at that time was alive and busy being the king and um choosing problematic friends. So you pretending you're Edward II when he's on the throne is really problematic. And also, he had no claim whatsoever. But what he said, because what he said was that when he was born, a servant was supposed to be taking care of him and she put him down in the courtyard and she went away. And while he was just lying in the courtyard, a pig came and ate his ear. Well, that's why he's missing that ear. And then she came and she said, oh my God, oh no, no, no. And so she switched the baby, Edward the third, Edward II, who had lost his ear, with some, what, carpenters, some some workman's child. So the Edward II, who's on the throne now and has both his ears, is not the real Edward II, who has lost one. Anyway, any rate, that was the story. I'm not believing it. Are you, Michelle? Uh, I think
1: that we have the helpful concept of Occam's razor <laughs> for stuff
0: like this. <laughs> yeah, uh, Edward II is indeed Edward II. What the thing was, he said that the reason that King Edward II liked things like ditch digging was that he was really the son of some workman. Oh, uh, right, yeah? right. Uh-huh. Ha 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 ha, your Occam's razor. See, because we have some stuff because everybody's like, why? Why does he like all this stuff? He was arrested for sedition and he confessed to having lied only. He said he lied, but the reason he lied was that his cat made him do it because the cat was really the devil. Oh. So they hung him and the cat both. Oh. So it appears to me that the cat being the devil, that part actually made sense to his contemporaries. You know, we think he's just nuts now, but that Hmm. actually made sense. But he wasn't Edward II. Uh, and there's more recently in uh, it was in the first part of the 20th century uh, a guy named Anthony William Hall he claimed to be the rightful king on account of being the son of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn conceived before Henry married Catherine of Aragon and um this can't be have been true because uh, Anne was 9 at that point and also it wouldn't have mattered because he would be ill he would it would be an illegitimate line and so it didn't matter but he went all around and he was making uh, he made he made claims he gave speeches he handed out pamphlets he challenged people to duels he got arrested his wife divorced him he had this property dispute with his sister cuz he wouldn't leave the house that she had inherited and he just was trouble 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 but there's a note from 1931, which got released in 2006, where King George V is quoted as saying, essentially that it would be great if he sh- would shut up, but you know they, it's not going to look good to imprison somebody who's clearly demented. So maybe they should just figure out how to put him in an institution, but the Home Office ruled that he was not so insane that he could be put into an institution without taking it to court, and so they just let him roam around. What's interesting then to me about that is nobody thought that Simmel and Warbeck were insane. Yeah, that is interesting. Simnel, he was just a kid, and he's just going along with stuff. War, If he really believed this, I think he was nuts, but I don't know that even he really believed that he was rightfully the king of England.
1: Yeah, I mean, people are complicated, right? It's it's possible that he thought that, um, you know, that he knew at the beginning and that eventually he persuades himself. Well, no, maybe it is true,
0: but but the deal was they were part of actual rebellions you know they were figureheads right right yeah i don't know
1: i i th- i think perkin warbeck is the more the more interesting of the two because he's the one who's closer to being an adult and it's like he just can't resist <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, because he's really spending a lot of energy on this. He's going all over. According to him, this wasn't his idea. These these guys approached
1: him and they said, Gosh, you sure do look a lot like Edward the Fourth and We gotta we got a proposition for you. So but you know, that's him telling the story, right? So but he seems even in his own telling to be kind of saying, Well, basically I drift around and scam people.
0: <laughs> much like Arthur Hall will later. It's wild. I like the part about the cat. What the heck? The cat. They have a real misunderstanding of how to treat cats. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, they really I, I don't think the cat was the devil. No, this guy was clearly nuts. He was just clearly, clearly nuts. But Warbeck and Simnel, nah, they weren't nuts. But everybody else on that list is. It's been, it's wild. I, I enjoyed reading about this. I enjoyed reading about Henry
1: VII, who I thought I knew something about, but really didn't. So what did you find out, Vivita? Well, I am more impressed with Henry as a monarch than I expected to be. And maybe I should have realized that for him not to have been a bloody smear within a couple of years, he actually has to be quite good at this and lucky. He has an awful lot of luck, and he has the mother of all stage mothers, (laughs)
0: yeah yeah she's sort of scary really (laughs) his
1: mom takes it margaret beaufort takes it into her head that her son is going to be king, and she raises money, and she lays the groundwork. She gets him off during the Wars of the Roses. She takes him out of the country to make sure that somebody doesn't decide to just murder him proactively. And he would not have ended up king. No matter how good he is at it once he's there, he would not have ended up king without his mom.
0: No, she really orchestrated a bunch of it. And sending him off to live with Jasper Tudor, his his father was dead. Sending him off to live with his uncle was really brilliant. So I wasn't I wasn't expecting to be impressed with him. And I
1: wasn't expecting to be impressed with the restraint that he shows in the face of all of these rebellions.
0: He's not like his son, Henry VIII at all, is he? No, he
1: reminds me, I mean, it's backwards, because of course, Elizabeth should remind me of him But he reminds me of Elizabeth with the way that Elizabeth I is extremely pragmatic and cautious and steps carefully about not wanting to overreact. How long Perkin Warbeck managed to stay alive actually quite surprised me.
0: Yeah, it's totally his fault that he's dead, that he gets executed. I, he could have actually just stayed hanging around the court for the rest of his life, the way that Simnel did. He just can't help himself, I guess, because Henry really Henry really responded with restraint to that. Yeah, the nobles in the rebellion get executed. But Warbeck is not as young as Simnel was, but he's he's in some ways not as responsible for what he's doing as the nobles are. It also goes on for
1: years. You know, Warbeck is a problem for Henry for a long time, because he wanders around, he finds a different king who finds it useful to be a thorn in Henry's side by helping Warbeck out. And by the time Henry gets a hold of him, it really strikes me that somebody who loses their temper easily would have had him publicly executed two and a half hours after having gotten a hold of him. But he doesn't. He holds on to him because he kind of cannily understands that having him around showing in person exactly how not royal he is <laughs> is a much smarter way to diffuse the, the threat. It's just that he's really, I, I, I really am struck by how pragmatic he is. He doesn't get mad. He just does. He's really focused. He's absolutely focused on wanting to establish his dynasty. I'm impressed with his um, branding, quite frankly. His understanding of branding and of marketing. He, after they get married, Elizabeth gets pregnant almost immediately. And he arranges for her to go to Winchester so that baby is born in Winchester. And they name him Arthur because in... 1485, Caxton has just published Mallory. (laughs) So Arthur, the Arthurian legend, is having this whole resurgence, and he is like, I'm getting on this train. He has her go to Winchester, where the big round table is. It's not the real one. it's it's It was made, I think, during the reign of Edward III. But, but by this point, people are kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's been there a long time. So it's associated with Arthur. They name him Arthur, and he's really trying to hitch his wagon to that. You know, he's so savvy he's so savvy i'm deeply impressed speaking of his marriage
0: his now we're talking about arthur's marriage
1: no well we'll talk about arthur in a second but henry the seventh and elizabeth's marriage bed was found in 2010. oh really
0: i did not know that <sighs> Huh? Where was it? Is somebody's attic? (laughs) Where was it? Where the hell was it? And how do they know it's theirs?
1: (laughs) Okay, this is a great story. Oh my gosh, this was this was the rabbit hole I went down. (laughs) This bed ended up. Its provenance has now been traced from when it was commissioned by Henry to when it nearly got thrown out in 2010. Oh my god. It was in the bridal suite of a bed and breakfast in Chester. And when the hotel- When this tiny little hotel shut down, they were auctioning everything off. And this looked like such a piece of crap by this point. Well, because it was really old, yeah. They were like, that's not going to fetch anything at auction. Let's just throw it out. So they set it out in the parking lot.
0: There's no mattress that's going to fit it, you know. It's, it's not standard size. You'd have to have everything made for it. So they set it out in the parking lot. I was reading about this over Thanksgiving, and I went, oh,
1: and my entire family turned around. <laughs> At the idea of the bed from 1485 sitting out in the parking lot while they figure out what to do with it. Ah, ah. So they decide, well, let's just have somebody come and take a look. And the person who comes to take a look says, yeah, well, you might as well just throw it into the auction. It's all, it's probably a Victorian, it's probably one of these, of which there are many, Victorian fakes of Tudor furniture. There's a couple of people who just flat up make their living as as fakes. One of them, what is his name? George, something other, George Shaw. So it's the furniture pretenders. Yeah, the furniture pretenders in the 19th century, there's a couple of guys that are really really good at making fake Tudor furniture. And then I love this part. Then going and selling them to people like the Duke of Northumberland and claiming, <gasps> "Oh lovely. Oh, I found this. And I'm pretty sure it belonged to your family." <laughs> I don't know how we got it. The nineteenth century has a flourishing trade in medieval and early modern forgery.
0: So anywho So so they got an expert who clearly was not much of an expert. Well they got an expert in who who knew
1: enough to tell them, Don't throw it out, put it in the auction. You never know. And oh okay so this is the
0: second expert
1: well that was that was the the first one and then the guy who bought it at auction oh, is a okay. real live expert he okay, he bought right. it he, he saw pictures of it and went holy crap so he bought it <laughs> for 2000 pounds <laughs> at auction he didn't oh, know respect. he didn't know what it was he hadn't seen it but he was pretty sure it was going to be worth taking a look at. His name is Ian Coulson, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He is an antiques trader, and he's specifically interested in four-poster bids. So he has done a uh-huh. lot of work on four-poster beds. Okay. So he, in 2010, here, here's what he says about this. I was the successful bidder on what was described by a Chester auction house as a Victorian carved fo- four-poster bed. It was an online decision based on some poor images and he he thought he thought it might be a um, piece of gothic gothic revival furniture. Anywho, so when he gets a hold of it, he's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! This is something else entirely." And he starts poking around. He starts looking at it. There's a whole book about this. If a person wants to go read it, which I enjoyed doing. Um, called... Did you buy
0: this? I did. Did you buy a book about the
1: Tudor bed? I did. It's called The Marriage <laughs> Bed of Henry the Seventh and Elizabeth of York, A Masterpiece of Tudor Craftsmanship. And it was just published. It came out in 2003 because it has taken a hot minute to do the research. Um, it's been difficult to date the bed because the The wood that it is made out of had a bug infestation, the weirdly named cockchafer bug, and also later wormwood damage. Then you can't do dendrochronology because something about the way the bug affects the wood, messes with the rings, and so those trees don't end up in the dendrochronology database. Got it. So they had to do different work to figure out how old it is. There's always going to be somebody who wants to argue with you, but in general, the consensus is, no, this is the actual thing. so that's pretty cool because that means it is the only surviving
0: medieval royal bed how I how, do you know how do they know how were they able to tell that it was that bed? And why did that bed end up in Chester? Do you have Do you know either of these things? So they know that it is Henry's
1: bed, both from the dating and the description of the bed.
0: Oh, got it. Okay. All
1: right. Okay. They know it belonged to a Henry because it has royal initials HR on it. Okay. But they have traced its way how it got from so they know that the bed was commissioned and made for the wedding and there's a description of it at that time so it matches the description they know that the bed has to be made for somebody who is royal because of the lavish use of lapis lazuli
0: oh my god so there it's there's
1: inlay work it's aquamarine paint which is made from lapis lazuli okay okay
0: so it's not the it's not the stones the stones have been ground up and made into yeah.
1: Even though that paint isn't there anymore because somebody, because there's, you know, it's 500 years old. There have been repairs and alterations to it. Some genius decided at some point that the painting was tacky and stripped it, but you can't get all the way down into the carving. So underneath the Victorian, the deep, dark Victorian varnish that was so popular at that time, sealed under it, is the aquamarine in the little nooks and crannies which is actually one of the ways they know it's not a Victorian forgery because the Victorian forgeries don't bother to do that. No 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 because no, you don't need to nobody's going to nobody's going to notice nobody's going to strip the veneer off and check under it.
0: So what happens? That's amazing. I I I'm I'm I'm, I'm I love this. I love it's this. It's so okay. exciting.
1: How did it end up in Chester, do we know? I don't know if we know exactly how it ended up in Chester. It left the royal household because it was given by Elizabeth I as a gift to somebody she was impressing morally, I think
0: clearly with somebody in England and not you know like on the continent. Right. The bed leaves the royal collection so now I'm in the book
1: quoting. The bed exits the royal collection at Windsor Castle in 1599 1600 as a gift from Elizabeth I to Sir Nicholas Moseley 1527 to 1612. With its history in Moseley property traced initially at Hewend Hall, Manchester and then to Ancotts also in Manchester. The bed's subsequent translation to Rolston Hall instead Staffordshire is explained, as is its rescue from an 1871 fire at the property. That's chapter three. This is a quote from the introduction. Also details the bed's attempted gifting by the fascist politician Sir Oswald Mosley, so it's still in that family, to the and preservation society in 1933 through its role as a film prop. Oh my god, I forgot to mention that part. You can see it in Film. It's in a film. Which one? Um, let me move forward to that. So, its, it's okay. role as a film prop in the later 20th century, before being acquired for a honeymoon suite at a hotel in Chester. So, it spends most of these 500 years in the Mosley family. So they can record uninterrupted provenance from 1485 to the present day but mostly through the Mosley family they get given it as a gift by Elizabeth I and yes there it is wild 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 I had forgotten about that piece that it shows up in a film do we know what film yes let me scroll forward what? to that <laughs> I know that's in Coulson's chapter this is a very good rabbit hole it's so wild I was all over the place reading about this I was reading the other book, the one about the Henry the Seventh and Tudor pretenders, and he mentions Henry the Seventh commissioned this bed and I thought, wait, I wonder if that still survives.
0: So then I went over and Googled it. And that's when you discovered that yes it did. It did. And here it was. But it almost didn't. <laughs> it is
1: one one film it can be seen in is in a movie called Carry On Dick which was released in 1974 and that actually is kind of useful because there are things that were still surviving then that aren't surviving now. So those images of it are helpful. This was a fascinating rabbit hole. Some of these beds got gifted to libraries, beds of this type, these kind of fancy, as they were going out of style, they got gifted to libraries to get turned into bookcases. So Ian Colson, when he's trying to track this down and find out what it is and where it came from, and once he starts suspecting what it is, he visits a library and up on the wall of the library is a piece of the bed. Of this bed? Of this bed. A piece that he had known was missing.
0: Oh, some. Of, okay, got it.
1: Yeah, he had known it was missing, and it was there. Wow. And now the library doesn't want to give it to them. So no, of course not. what they're going to do is they made a copy of it. They took it down enough to... Make a copy of it. It's a piece with a shield, like it would have been on the up at the top of the bed, the coat of arms, and some scrollwork. This is the wild. This is one of the wildest things I've found for a while. But yeah, I didn't,
0: I didn't see that coming for sure.
1: I also found that after the Lambert Simnel rebellion was put down in fourteen eighty seven, Henry goes to York and asks for and is given an out of season command performance of the York civic plays on august no i kid you not august 1st 1487 that's not when they would normally perform those plays no it is not but the king showed up and is like i heard you have this awesome thing and they're like we do and they give him a performance it's in the reed volume for york he saw a special performance of the plays in um coning street at Thomas Scott's house, which this article by John McKinnell says is probably corresponding to either station seven or station eight in the 1569 list. I, that was another moment where my family turned around to stare at me because I went, <gasps> I, th- I found that fascinating because, sorry, this is a totally different sort of rabbit hole that we might not want to even include when we, in the broadcast, but I've been wondering about the connection potentially between rebellion and these big civic plays because the the big civic plays emerge in the late 14th century right as we're having all of these peasants rebellions and I've I've wondered about whether part of what's going on with the big civic plays is trying to get in front of peasant revolts. Like keep people busy, give them something to do and also sort of reinforce we're a community. We got this civic thing we're doing together. So I found it fascinating that Henry shows up and the thing he wants is, I would like to see your civic plays having just put down this rebellion.
0: Yeah, interesting connection. The
1: amount of pop culture though was overwhelming. I'm just gonna give you a few highlights because there was a-
0: oh, So we, we only get a brief report about the popular culture because there is so much of it. Holy smokes, <laughs> I got o- utterly overwhelmed. There are,
1: there are contemporary songs- from this time period not that i was able to find them i was able to find reference to them but i couldn't find them Uh john ford writes a play about perkin warbeck in roughly 1630 it's published in
0: 1634
1: and it's kind of sympathetic to him it's not saying he was this guy it's more about well what makes you royal anyway
0: indeed what does
1: Interesting. Of course, nobody's writing plays about the Tudors until after Elizabeth is dead. Nobody's that
0: stupid. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Nobody's. I've sometimes run across people saying, I wonder why Shakespeare never wrote a play about Henry VII. He wrote about Richard II and Henry IV and Henry V. Well, there is a good reason that he was not. Yeah, there's a very good reason. Yeah. Then that Henry VIII play doesn't come out until after Elizabeth is dead, too. (laughs) You you can do that under the Jacobean's. You
0: cannot do that
1: under Elizabeth. So
0: there were plays. There were songs. That's
1: early on. Mary Shelley. This is the part where I almost fell off my chair. Mary Shelley wrote a novel called The Fortunes of Perkin Warbeck. You know, I actually did not know that at all. 1830, in which the novel posits that he was, in fact, Richard, Duke of York. Of
0: course you would do that. Yeah. Good
1: for a novel. There's a brand new kind of middle grade novel by a pretty famous author called Airy, 2021. And that one's about Simnel. It's called The Player King.
0: Do we have operas? And do we have Finnish heavy metal music? Those are the things I want to know. There are lots of plays, actually. There's a play from 1976 that was reviewed in the
1: New York Times. There's a 2005 Prince, it's called Princess in the Tower, but it's actually historical drama about the interrogation of Warbeck, which confused me. There's a 2022, last year play about Warbeck's wife, Catherine Gordon. Oh my god. (laughs) There's Songs about Lambert Simnel, but they're not—they're not really. They're more folk songs, or kind of traditional folk songs. If you uh, people who are writing songs now in the style of folk songs. Okay, so not Finnish heavy metal. I have not found any Finnish death metal about this. Now, do I think it might exist? It might.
0: Yes, we do, because Finnish death metal is everywhere. The other thing
1: that I found that I was kind of perplexed by is there's a whole. There's a whole thing called the Missing Princes Project that is headlined by Philippa Langley, who has now a book about this, who is arguing that, yep, actually, Perkin Warbeck and Lamnil Simnel were absolutely Edward and Richard.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, given that, I can't tell you how happy I am personally, that neither one of them had any children, because otherwise they would be showing up on the genealogy sites and people would be arguing that they were descended from Edward, (laughs) the Plantagenets. (laughs) Thank God. All right. So that's not happening. So much, so
1: much. People are fascinated with them from the beginning, but the way it gets handled is different. It's really kind of interesting that the books and the stories about Simnel, you know, because he's the child are much more about, the experience of this kid or him being used as a pawn like there's there's a lot of sympathy to that and the other one the one about the ones about Perkin Warbeck, tend to be more kind of adult and thinking about the nature of royalty and the nature of being a con man so so it is sort of interesting that the ways in which they show up in pop culture reflects that difference in age
0: yeah it really matters yeah so I enjoyed
1: this tremendously, getting to read about this. I was very excited to find out about the Tudor marriage bed, and I will be... The
0: Tudor marriage bed is just awfully exciting. When was that found again,
1: tell me again. It showed up in auction in 2010. Oh my and God.
0: And so they've spent yeah. the
1: last... This book only just came out because they've spent the last 12 years researching.
0: Yeah, it would take a while to find pieces of beds and stuff.
1: Big claims require big evidence. You have to... If you're going
0: to say, we found this thing, then you better
1: get your ducks in a row.
0: Also... You don't immediately think, ah, this must be the marriage bed of Henry VII, because you can tell it's royal, but don't know. Yeah, and the coat of arms had been taken off, so you didn't have that. It's a
1: big, it's a big, big find, and it's kind of interesting that there isn't a whole lot of royal material culture, even as late as the Tudors, because like what we saw happen with this bed. Once it was out of fashion, it got given as a gift. Like things got passed down. The only surviving hat of Henry VIII is in Waterford.
0: And why is it in Waterford? Because
1: it was given as a gift to the mayor of Waterford because the Waterf- Waterford has a really tight relationship with the Tudors. It's the only major city in Ireland that doesn't join in on the Lambert Simnel thing. <laughs> and they get rewarded then too, actually. That, and that is only right. For staying loyal to the Tudors. So that relationship continues. Continues. And so Henry VIII sends the mayor of Waterford this hat. Now, it probably wasn't his favorite hat, and it probably was worn one he'd worn a few times, but it was preserved in Waterford, and you can see it in a museum there. But there aren't any others. Oh, this stuff got given as gifts or passed down to servants, and and it just got worn and, worn and worn and worn and worn and passed along and disappeared.
0: Yeah, when things fall out of fashion, you don't want them around if you're a person who's paying a lot of attention to being, being seen. And so, yeah. So your hands step on over and eventually it falls apart. That makes sense. It makes sense. Are there any operas? I did not find any operas. It doesn't
1: mean they don't exist. Um, let me, let me
0: just, I'll just Perkin
1: Warbeck opera. Let's just look.
0: Let's just find out. <laughs> I'll just check. Yeah. Cause I, I'd, I'd be surprised if there aren't, because you know, this is the kind of thing.
1: Oh nope! There is this one was done. It's um, this is 1911, and it's from Brussels. I forgot to look specifically for opera from Brussels in Brussels. Yeah,
0: I I, I Brussels really is sort of not connected to all this. I why, I'm so like why 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 is this so popular?
1: Of course, it's worth mentioning that. The throne of England has never allowed DNA testing of the skeletons that were found in uh, under the staircase in the tower. Right,
0: right. They allowed testing of of the of Richard the Third out of the car park, but they have not yet allowed. I think I read someplace that King Charles the Third is not averse to having the DNA tested, so it may get done at some time. That would be cool. Put it all to rest. Who are they? Oh, and we'll find out that they're not the uh princes of the tower at all, they're just some kids that somebody murdered because they were really tired of, of taking care of them and they don't have anything to do with anything. Yeah, literally, they were murdered, but we don't know why
1: I or who
0: they are. Just
1: keep finding more and more historical novels about Perkin Warbeck. I, I finally stopped looking because my brain was getting full but here's another one 1956 a princely knave by australian author philip lindsley okay oh we've run across him before because he's the author of the devil and king john i knew that sounded familiar ah okay yeah i knew that was ringing bells okay oh i'm stopping looking now (laughs) that's enough that's
0: enough of that so we just this is that if anybody wants to know more about if anybody wants to like spend some time having being entertained by popular culture about uh the two pretenders they it's out there it's out there yeah and you are welcome to
1: <laughs> go and look but i think i'm going to go back and read some more about the tudor bed
0: <laughs> the, the tudor bed is both interesting and like manageable as a subject <laughs> Deeply important. Deeply important. Only royal bed we've got.
1: Deeply important. And that's also when I learned that aquamarine is what you call lapis lazuli
0: when you grind it up and make it into a paint. Right. So that's what we've got. (laughs) The pretenders, the two pretenders who aren't like any of the other pretenders. They are not like any the insane ones or the ones who are, are related to the royalty. They just are out on their own stuck in rebellions and none of the rebellions went anywhere and they were not actually who they said they were they weren't so that's our discussion, and the next time that you hear from us, we are going to be having one of the special episodes where we go out of the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Going out of the Middle Ages, we're going to go. We're not, we're, not only are we going out in time, we're going out in place. We're going to go to the New World and talk about the Puritans, and we're going to talk about outlawing Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Some people were very bad, and they had Christmas anyway. <laughs> It's easy to be badly behaved if you've got, like, you know, a plethora of rules. The more rules you've got, the more badly behaved you can be. So this has been True Crime Medieval, where the crimes are just like they are today, only with less technology. We can be found on Spotify and Apple and various places, wherever those podcasts are hanging out, we're there. And you can find us at truecrimemedieval True crime medieval is all one word, and there's links to the podcast there, and show notes, and transcriptions, and little blurbs that explain things. And you can leave comments. Uh, we can you can reach us through there, and we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you've got any ideas for medieval crimes that we that uh, we haven't paid attention to, and we'll check that out. We've got yeah, we've got. It's our fifth year. We've got a list. Uh, we've still got a list, but we've we've been expanding because we decided that uh, we wanted to include Central Europe as part of Europe because, well, for basically for moral and political reasons. But at any rate, so if you've got stuff from uh, Latvia and Poland and uh, Ukraine and Estonia. around in there. Estonia.
1: I've been to (laughs) Estonia. My dad owned a tractor from Belarus.
0: Did he really? Mm,
1: My brother still has it. Yep. He bought it it right after the fall of the Soviet Union um, because Belarus was just starting to expand into the American market. And it was a really nice chapter that he got really cheap because the exchange rates were were really in favor of the Americans at that point. And they're numbered. And his is like number two. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs)
1: the second one to hit the united states
0: <laughs> belarus tractor number two oh, anyway. yeah so we like this we're at any anyway, rate it's a, even if we hadn't done that it's it's a continent it's an entire continent and a thousand years so there's lots of crime so we're not nearly done we're just too little on here yes yeah, what we'll do and yeah yeah bye bye